If you could stand for the reading of God's word found in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. And when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated and let's pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name that when your people come to ungodly places by the power of your spirit, godly things can happen. God, we thank you that today that every one of us in this room is here for a purpose. And God, that purpose is to have your kingdom unfold in the spheres of influence that you've placed us. So God, for those of us who may be sitting in the ruins of life, may we know that encouragement even now may be on the way. For those of us who are feeling burdened for an area or a person, God, please let us know that we are your body. We are the body of Christ. And if we are asking where you are and why you are not moving, God, may you reveal to us that, in fact, maybe it's why we're not moving with what your spirit tells us. So, God, this morning, may we be encouraged in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, any time we get to look at a book like Nehemiah, I think it's always important for us to remember that he lived in real space and he lived in real time. Right, So he was a real man, he really was born, he really had hopes, he really had dreams. And I say that because I think sometimes it's easy for us to forget that he did not have the next chapter. Right, We we know what's going to happen in the book of Nehemiah, and probably in the next 20 minutes, we're going to go through his whole life. Can you imagine right now if somebody had like Rich Owens chapter 47 opened up in their Bible? Well, let's look at Rich Owens. I mean, why isn't Rich Owens trusting God right now? I mean, chapter 37, Rich was doing good, but chapter 47, Rich isn't doing good. I mean, but sometimes I could take that same approach to the Bible. It's like, come on, God. But these are real people. And so what we're going to see now in Nehemiah is first we're going to look at his past. How did he get to where he is? Well, we know we're going through a series right now called Whole. So every week, we're going through a book of the Bible in the Old Testament. So it started in Genesis. We saw that there really was a bad fall that happened, right? So sin entered into the world, death through sin. But then the promise of somebody coming to rescue humanity. And then we see Abraham, and God makes a promise to this man who can't have kids and his wife who can't have kids. And then they have a a child. And then through him, the Jewish nation comes to being. And then we see the Jewish nation, right? We see Abraham goes to, you know, Moses, all the patriarchs. Throughout it all, the promise of somebody that is coming to fix the sin, the problem that's in the world. And if my life's a testimony, this life is not always easy, is it not? Right? I think sometimes behind the smile, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? Well, sometimes I'm not doing all that good. And... The backdrop now is the nation of Israel. We see it went to the promised land. It came to the judges. Then it went to the kings. The whole time, God's sending the prophets saying, follow me. Follow my word. I know you. I made you. I know what's best for you. And somehow, it it baffles our minds. How could Solomon, the wisest man, go bad? How could he, at the end of his life, be okay with child sacrifice? How could that happen? And so that brings us to Nehemiah. Born on Babylonian soil because of the sins of his ancestors. 
and I can't help but think as I think about our day, my friends, God has not changed his word. God is not confused on the value of unborn human life. He created it. He knits us together in the womb. In our culture, we have abortion going on. And God is very clear on what that is. Also in our day, he's not confused on marriage. He made it. He made marriage between man and woman. He knows what it is. And in terms of gender, he made them male and female. He knows, and I, I say that as a backdrop, because we're going to see a man who was born in captivity because the people in front of him failed to follow God's word. And we're going to see in this man a passion. Because when we come from pain many times, out of that pain comes passion. Because the fire of adversity burns off all of the fluff, does it not? When you go through the fires of adversity, when you wonder where God is at the current moment. So the man's past. And next we're going to see the man's present. Now the man's present position is really fascinating. So he's in a place, chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, follow me. We're going to be moving fast this morning. So hopefully you had your caffeine. So in chapter 1, we're going to see that this man is in the capital city of Shushan. Now, what's interesting about Nehemiah, very possibly he could be a eunuch. What that means is he could not have any kids. Why? Because the kings of those days wanted no hanky-panky going on with their concubines and all that stuff. Right? So, so, so Nehemiah has not had an easy upbringing, per se. And we also know this because later in the book of Nehemiah, when his enemies are trying to set him up to kill him, they try to get him to go into the temple. Well, why would they do that? Well, because they know Jewish law said that no eunuch is allowed in the temple. So some scholars believe that could in fact be the case. His job is very interesting. If you like wine, you would love his job. His job is he was the cupbearer. Now in those days, if somebody wanted to assassinate the king, usually they did it through poison. So Nehemiah's job was to drink the, king, uh, drink the cup. If he died, the king said, I'm not going to drink it. Right? Talk about job pressure, right? But Nehemiah would have been very shrewd. Why? Because his life was connected to the king's life. He would have known everything that was going on. Right? He would have known everything. Very shrewd, very prepared. And it tells us he also would have been very educated in how the king handles things in the court. Right? Nothing in your past, nothing in my past is ever wasted. And God knew what he was planning for Nehemiah, so he has him in the highest court of the land watching how the king does business. And the last thing we see about his current position is he is paid well. Are you paid well? I mean, are you paid really well and you think I'm paid so well, I'm not leaving my position? Well, let me tell you, Nehemiah was paid well. And why was he paid well? Because his job was to keep the king alive. And we know that because later in the book of Nehemiah, we see when he is the governor of Jerusalem, guess what? He's paying for everything out of his own pocket. He's not taxing the people of Israel. So that's his position. And now it's going to lead us to his predicament. And if you're wondering if all these start with the letter P, they do. <laughs> right? So just we're going to eliminate that right now. His predicament we're going to see is in verse 2 of chapter 1. It says, and Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked him concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So we know Ezra, many years before, as Pastor Dustin preached last week, Ezra had left. He had departed 
to go rebuild the temple. And they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have the internet. So Nehemiah is probably wondering, how is it going back in Jerusalem? Is it actually happening? Right? So he's, he's hopeful. Why? Because he wants to see God's kingdom reestablished. But that's not the news he's going to get. It's not the news he's going to get. And, it's, and it says in verse 3, And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. These are real people. These are real people that are in real danger and going through real pain. And they said, The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. That's how it's going, Nehemiah. How's your day going? <laughs> Let me tell you how my day is going. And verse 4 says, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. For how long, Nehemiah? I mean, come on, we have our five years. You ever feel like sometimes God's timeline is an inconvenience to you? To me? He hears these things. And he's broken by them. Have you been broken by something you hear in your life, a situation in your life, a person in your life? Because many times in our life, it's easy to be here in church and to hear things, but then we, when we go out into our spheres of influence, it's like, God, I have no idea what I'm going to do. This is a little tougher than I thought. So here we have this man. He is weeping and fasting, and he is broken because he loves these people, and he's in a very dangerous place because he's in a praying place. And my friends, let me tell you what I love about this church. This is a praying church. If you've ever gone through a difficult time in this church, let me tell you, you know the men and women. There are men and women in this congregation that are at the throne of grace on your behalf. And if you don't think that matters, let me tell you, this Christmas when I was crippled and on the couch and couldn't move, and my wife sends out a text message, he says, you know, my husband needs prayer right now. He's hurting really bad through some mental illness stuff. He, he, he battles. And people in this congregation prayed. And God moved. I think about Perry Atkinson, John Esser, John Duke, Jason Atkinson, Pastor Dustin, brothers in the congregation who came around and me and said, you know what, we're going to carry you during this time. My own family. Let me tell you, my friends, that, that, that's real life stuff when the brokenness happens, right? But let me tell you, prayer is able to do, you might be in a position right now, you, you, you think it's hopeless, and it might be hopeless. But when you ask God to enter into the situation, he's able to do great and mighty things. And you know, another thing I've, I've learned that if, if our prayer, if, if our theology keeps us from praying, there is something wrong with our theology. We can rest on God's sovereignty all we want, but I'll tell you, we look at the life of Christ and we look at every morning how he is praying and then he's out with the people. We see that in Nehemiah. That prayer moves us to action, my friends. It moves us to action. It has to move us to action. So now we see the man's plea in chapter two, verse one through four. Nehemiah it's been a time of prayer. And remember, remember this, when we pray and when we fast, and fasting is we refrain from food for a period. Why? Because our focus is on God and what he wants to do. And so Nehemiah is, he's about to, he, he, he's, in, he's in for his life right now, what he's going to do. Because remember this, all loyalty had to be to the king. 
It had to be. And Nehemiah is going to approach the king with something that's on his heart. And in the beginning of chapter 2, it shows us some time has passed, and Nehemiah is in front of the king again, and he's drinking wine, right? So life is good. No, it's not good. Nehemiah goes in, he's serving the king wine, and the king says, hey, excuse me, what's wrong with you? Uh, excuse me? <laughs> what do you mean what's wrong with me? Uh, you're sad. And now Nehemiah became afraid because he said he had never been afraid or, or sad in the king's presence. Because it wasn't about him, it was about the king. <sighs> wow. He's been praying. In the midst of the praying, God's been giving him a plan. And now he is in front of the most powerful man in the world. And he has everything to lose. He has his position. He has his money. He has his life. And what's he going to do? <sighs> well, he's gonna t- so let's follow along in chapter 2. The king said to me, or he said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tomb, lies in wait and its gates are burned with fire? He said, king, I'm going to lay it out before you. This is why my face is sad. Now, remember, this is the king that stopped the building to continue, right? So the building in Jerusalem that was going on is stopped because this king somehow was convinced to make it stop. And now Nehemiah is back in front of him saying, your uh, your majesty, I have a request to you. Now, um, and the king says to him, okay, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Ah! And remember, Nehemiah had a plan in his mind. When he's in this position, he's not like, well, king, can I come back in five days and tell you what I want to do? He knew what he wanted to do. Now, a little sidebar here. Very interesting who this queen could be in chapter 2. I'm just going to leave it there. Maybe Pastor Dustin on his Wednesday night dive could take a deeper dive. I'm not saying it's Esther. I'm not saying it's not Esther. Some scholars differ on that. But very, very interesting that she is even mentioned here. Because this is not a common thing. And so what Nehemiah tells the king, this is my plan. He says to the king, I'm going to be gone this long. The king says, when are you going to be back? He said, I'll be back here. But notice Nehemiah knew what the king had. My friends, do you, do you and I know what the king has? I know he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, whatever that means. As Christians, do, do I know, right? Do I know those times where I'm going through the adversity and the affliction, do I really know and believe that I have access to the throne of grace? And that grace is actually a real thing. And God really wants to answer in real ways. Nehemiah knew what the king had. He said, king, by the way, the king says, is that all you want? He said, no, it's not all I want. I'll tell you what I want. I want letters. I want you to give me letters. So when I go to talk to the different governors who are going to oppose me, I can say, this is what the king says. My friends, I'm telling you, we better know that this book right here is the infallible word of God like we sang about So when the enemy comes against us and says, what do you think you were doing? We're saying, hey, you know what? God says this right here in his word. That's where the spiritual battles are won, are they not? That's where they're won. God, you've said it in your word. This is what I believe. Nehemiah knew that. And next, I can imagine the king saying, are you done yet, Nehemiah? Uh, No, sir, not yet. By the way, there's this guy named Asphanad, the keeper of your forest. I want you to tell him that I can have everything that I need to rebuild the city. You want to talk about somebody approaching the throne of the king with boldness? And the Bible tells us, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, my friends. 
And once again, I say thank you to the men and women. I can name you. Thank you for the men and women in this church that approach the throne of God with boldness on our behalf. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please never stop, never stop, never stop. This congregation needs your prayers, and we need to learn to, to pray just like you. So now that's going to bring us, lastly, hopefully you're still awake. We're, we're not gonna, I'm not going to go as long as Pastor Dustin. He kind of told me, he said, you know, half of what I go. <laughs> right, half of what I go. So I'm like, so, so I go 60 minutes then? Is that what, how long I go? No. Um, bring us to the, the man's purpose. So Nehemiah, a couple months later, he ends up in Jerusalem. He is not rose-colored glasses, right? It's not like, okay, you know, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. No, he goes to Jerusalem. He looks at the city, and it is really as bad as they tell him it is. It is decimated. And we see in chapter 2, in verse 11, how he goes and he surveys the city. He doesn't tell anybody what he's doing. Have you ever had people in your life, you tell them a dream that God has put in your life, and they shoot it down? Right? We all have it. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Oh, you should never do that. No, God doesn't want to. But, you know, those are the same people when God comes through. Hey, I told you God would do it. It's like, get out of here. Well, Nehemiah wasn't going to tell anybody what was in his heart to do. Because he knew what God had placed on his heart to do. And then it gets down to verse 17. And this is really powerful, my friends. When Nehemiah was back in the capital city... It was me and they. Now that he's in the ruins with them, it's we. I promise you something. When you're going through adversity, it's one thing to say, hey, hey is, is you know what, Jared Gritters? I know you are going through a hard time. I mean, I know you're going through a hard time. Isn't it a little different when I say, Jared, we are going through a hard time? That's different, right? Now I'm connected with him. We're in this together. Nehemiah is in it with the people. And this is where it gets powerful. What is about to happen is humanly impossible. But he unites the people. Everybody is given a portion of the wall. This wall was 2.5 miles long. This wall was about 40 feet high. And its average thickness was 8 feet that's how big this wall is. And the importance of the wall is the wall of the city represents the value that's inside of the city. What's inside of the city is the temple of God that represents the presence of God. And as long as the wall is down, everything is open for attack. And Nehemiah, in the midst of adversity from without, those two guys we met at the beginning, the Sambalat guy, the Horonite, the Ammonite guy, they sound like, you know, bugs that want to sting you, right? Well, guess what? They wanted to kill them. And they're using words to try to not speak life, but they're speaking death into Nehemiah. They actually make plans. They're going to go and kill Nehemiah and the people. And what does Nehemiah say? Okay, guess what? Get the sword in one hand, get the trowel in the other hand, because we're not stopping. And the whole time through the book, Nehemiah is praying, and he's seeking God. And in under 52 days... The walls rebuilt. A wall that had sit, sat broken for decades. Decades, my friend, this wall had been broken down. It's never going to happen. God can't do it. My friends, I don't know where you're sitting right now in your life. 
in the brokenness of your life. But let me tell you that God is able to do things that would blow our mind if we trust him. Would blow our minds if we trust him. It's interesting as we, and I'm going to let Pastor Dustin cover this in the Bible study. You look at the rest of the book of Nehemiah, right? So the people come back to God. They make a covenant with God. Nehemiah goes away. Then he comes back. And when he comes back, this is what he finds. What are you guys doing? You're you're doing everything that God told us not to do that, that got us here in the first place. You're intermarrying with people who aren't of the community of faith. You're you're doing work on the Sabbath that God told you not to do. You're, you're, what are you, you can almost see the guy saying, are you stupid? Right? But why is he so passionate, my friends? Why is he so passionate? Because he experienced the pain of prior disobedience. That's why he's passionate. He doesn't want these people to go back into slavery again. In fact, he goes to the temple and he finds one of those guys, the Tobiah guy or whoever. He takes his stuff and him and he kicks him out of the temple. You want to talk about politically incorrect? He says, no, we're going to be biblically correct is what we're going to be. Enough of this garbage. Ah, Sorry, I should have not have had caffeine this morning. (laughs) You know, years later, another man came to Jerusalem. A man who was going to seek the ultimate good of the, of the people of Israel and of the whole world. And when his birth was shared with the rulers of Jerusalem, it says that Herod was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. And as this baby grew, all of the powers of hell and evil were set on one thing to destroy him. Why? Because he was set on your good and my good. That's why. And I love when the Bible talks about when Jesus comes to this one region that says the people who sat. There's not, if you've ever sat in depression before, let me tell you, there is not a harder place to sit. You feel like you can't get up. And it says that the people who sat in the valley of the shadow of darkness and death, a light had shined. My friends, the gospel is unfolding right now. When Jesus tells the the Jewish leaders, he says, destroy this temple, talking about his body, and in three days I'm going to raise it up again. Right? Then they take him and they spit him and they scourge him and they mock him and they beat him. They beat him. If, if you've ever been beat before, you know, you understand the pain. And let me tell you, it was at a degree that no human has ever suffered before. And then they take him and they nail him to a cross and all of the sin of humanity the sin that really kills people, the sin that really damages people greatly is put on him. He's made sin for us. And then to make it worse, the father pours the wrath. All the wrath that we deserve goes on the son and as his blood sheds over the ground, the sacrifice once for all for sins is made, my friends. If that doesn't get you fired up, if that doesn't get you excited, check your pulse, right? Because I'm telling you, then what happened is when he died, we know as believers, we died with him. How does that work? I'm going to let Pastor Dustin explain that. When he was raised to newness of life, we were raised with him. And guess what? Right now, he is at work taking over the universe. And the, the promise to Adam, the promise to Abraham, the promise to the prophets, all the kings, is right here in the Messiah. So what does that mean for us? That's nice. What does that mean for us? Oh, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked, and I still have 30 minutes. I'm kidding. I don't. You know, Jesus told us that it was better for us that he went away after the resurrection. He said, it's better for you that I go away. Why? 
I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the helper to come to you. And Jesus said, greater things than he did, we're going to do. Anthony Rowe, do you know that, that you're going to do greater things than Jesus did because he went to the Father? Excuse me, how am I going to do that? Well, this is how we're going to do it. You know, every one of us is given a sphere of influence. Right? I have a relative, and he, <laughs> I love this individual, but it's like, Dave, this country's going to hell in a handbasket. Dave, oh, Dave. If I, well, and, and, and that helps me how, right? How does that help me? I'll tell you how it doesn't help me. If I hear what this person says, like, you know, and I focus on that, I'm going to become paralyzed and neutralized and ineffective, right? Which means the sphere of influence that God, that God has given me with my incredible wife, with my kids, with my work, instead of being faithful and prayerful here, I'm going to be over here. Is that where you're at this morning? Grandparents, oh, you know, the youth of today. How about your own grandkids? Moms and dads, how about the kids who sometimes I know they smell, they stink, they, they have opinions, right? Especially when they get to middle school and high school. And, th and then we send them off to college. Um, it, and you know, an another thing that God is teaching me, that if I am faithful in my sphere right here, for all I know, my faithfulness here is going to have a ripple-like effect, then a tidal wave effect on spheres I could never even imagine. So my friends, I don't know what the Spirit of God is putting on your heart today, right? Maybe there's somebody right now you're thinking about, you think, you know, God, I, you know what? Prayer, fasting, inconvenient, yes, but sometimes the pressures of this life are inconvenient. But I'll tell you, God wants to rebuild the lives and the walls of the people in your life. The kingdom of God is people, right? And so that being said, let's go out this week. Um, I, I, I just can't help but think that there, there, there are people sitting in your life right now, just like Nehemiah, that they've been sitting for a long time just waiting for somebody to come and to help them, right? We're the body of Christ. We're the, we're, we are the arms and the feet, feet of Jesus. And uh, I'll tell you, all the powers of hell will be greatly disturbed when they hear that people have come to seek the well-being of the body of Christ and the world in which we live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Nehemiah. We thank you that you give us the example of those who have gone before in the race of faith, those who trusted you, those who are with you right now in glory. God, thank you for their story. And Lord, for all of us who are here right now in this time, in this space, in human history, God, may we be faithful, Lord. We, it's about you. It's about your spirit working in us and through us, Lord. We, we are dependent upon you. So God, may we, may we see with your eyes. And Lord, may we see the kingdom of God rise in the very spheres of influence where you've called us to be. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.